Hello and welcome back to the Take A Trip podcast. This is episode 14 and today I'm going to be looking into the mysterious death and life of Joyce Vincent. This was a listener request. Um, This was requested by Shan on Instagram. Shout out to you, Shan. If you want to request an episode, please check the link in the description. It is linktr.ee forward slash take a trip podcast. You can also find it in my Instagram bio as well. And yeah, let's just sort of jump straight into it. So this case has definitely haunted me since I read the first article about it. I'll be honest. Um, I feel like once you start looking into it, you definitely do start spiraling down this rabbit hole of just weird pieces of information that kind of make the story make sense. But then it also gives you more questions about Joyce and her life. There are amazing videos on YouTube about this. And there was also an amazing documentary, which you didn't hear it from me, but It was actually uploaded, re-uploaded onto YouTube. So you can see it for free at the moment. You didn't hear it from me though. And uh, I watched this documentary. I actually paid for it on YouTube. It was about three pounds, I think, to rent the movie slash documentary. And it is called Dreams of a Life. And it was directed by Carol Morley. Now, big up Carol. We love a female director. She did an amazing job on this documentary. It really gives you a true insight into how Joyce was. There was an actress that played Joyce, um, she looks so much like Joyce, it's actually creepy. And it kind of paints a very clear picture of Joyce's life, the struggle she went through, and how she got to where she got to. And so with that being said, let's jump into the most bizarre case from London that I have ever researched to date. On the 25th of January 2006, the North London Housing Association approached a flat in Wood Green. This flat was a part of a complex and this was used to give a safe home for domestic abuse victims. This flat was the furthest one at the end of the row of flats so not many people would walk past this residence and nor did the neighbours talk to each other that often which if you're not from London you might think is a bit weird but in all honesty we're very antisocial here and also on top of it it was a domestic abuse survivors place where they would go so they kind of want their privacy I'm guessing and they might not want to talk to everyone they see, which is fair enough. The tenant of this flat hadn't paid nearly £2,500 in rent, and the council found out that the money in the tenant's trust fund had been paying the bills in the flat up until this point. The tenant had only paid half of the rent, and the council paid for the other half of the rent, which was kind of part of the scheme that this uh, housing association And so it didn't flag on the council system until the bills weren't paid for, which was sort of the water, electricity and the heating. So with that, the housing association went to repossess this flat because the person hadn't been paying the bills. And after trying to get in contact with the tenant numerous times, they got no response. So they decided to force entry. They actually had a warrant to evict the tenant when they needed to. So the front door of this flat was bolted shut from the inside, which meant that someone kind of had to be home. Once they had broken into the flat, they instantly saw a tall pile of untouched letters which were blocking the door. And the council officials also noticed that the place was absolutely covered in a thick blanket of dust and it looked like it had been abandoned for years. What these repo guys didn't realise was that they 100% were not alone in that apartment. They could hear a TV blaring from the living room, so they opened the door and they walked inside to see who was there. And I guess it's fair to say that they were very shocked at what they saw. Laying face up on the sofa, they discovered the skeletal remains of a human body. And around this body were several neatly wrapped Christmas presents. The TV was on and it was actually tuned into BBC One. And the heating was also on. This was very eerie and instantly they picked up that the body had been decomposing there for years. 
Once the police were called, they removed the body for examination and it was determined that they couldn't get much information surrounding the cause of death for this person. And the post-mortem examiner stated that the body was far too decomposed for them to even find a true cause of death. And so they used the teeth and a photograph of the resident from the flat to identify the body. And they identified that body to be that of Joyce Vincent, the 38-year-old woman who lived in that flat. They figured that Joyce had most likely died in December 2003, which added up to around three years before she was discovered. And with that, so many questions were raised. The neighbours thought that the pungent smell coming from the flat and the horde of flies was simply due to the bins outside. Little did they know that a body had been decomposing next door to them for three years straight. So who's Joyce? Why did this woman die? And how did her death go unnoticed for so long? Why did no one check on her? Well, let's have a look into Joyce's life and see what went down before her heartbreaking fate. Joyce Carol Vincent was born on the 19th of October 1965 in Hammersmith, London. Her parents were called Lawrence and Lyris and they also had four more daughters, but I think these daughters are still trying to remain anonymous and I'm going to respect that. Lawrence was a man of Caribbean descent and Lyris was a woman of Indian descent. And there aren't many details describing how they met and their sort of family history, but it was apparent that Joyce's four sisters were born in Grenada, or Grenada, however you say that, and the family originally lived there. But they moved to the UK and that is where Joyce was born. So she was the only child out of her siblings to be born and raised in London. As she was growing up, a lot of Joyce's friends recollected that she loved her mother, Lyris. Joyce took elocution lessons, which are basically lessons just to improve the way someone speaks and articulates themselves. So as a result of this, Joyce was known for her polite and well-spoken manner. Joyce's dad was described as this well-kept West Indian man who was always wearing a suit and he was away for work quite a lot, put work in quotations. So Joyce didn't really get to bond with him that much. A few articles I read actually said that Lawrence was emotionally distant and they criticised his parental skills, saying that he was more concerned with other women than with his own children. Yikes. Joyce's friends all picked up that she almost came off as this posh girl because she knew how to conduct herself properly. By all accounts, Joyce was this smart, pretty and just wonderful girl she was a pleasure to be around she had this specific aura about her that sort of drew people to her and she was one of those people who are like a walking magnet i feel like we all know a person like this where wherever they go they kind of just attract people heads turn they're like who is this person i feel like it's a very energy based thing you can just feel their energy and it's good energy you know so Joyce was a social chameleon from young. She would adapt to any friendship group in the playground and all of the kids just seemed to love her. And in the documentary about Joyce, one of the, her childhood friends recollected how Joyce would sing in school. She said that all the kids in the playground would run and crowd around Joyce and she would perform for them. And she had a passion for music and singing. And like I said, she just had this gorgeous voice when she sang and she really wouldn't hide it from anyone. But Joyce's world came crashing down when she turned 11. Her mother had to go to the hospital for surgery and Joyce was home one day. Her dad came in and he just casually told her that her mother had died during surgery. And a few sources mentioned that the way Joyce was told about her mother's death was just in this really cold and non-emotional manner. And she didn't really get any emotional comfort or support from her dad following her mother's death. This led to Joyce's emotional development being stunted as she grew up and you will see that this is very noticeable in her adult life and especially in the way that she forms relationships because as you already know childhood trauma 
is scary because it can really change who you are as an adult if it goes untreated. For the rest of her childhood, Joyce was mainly parented by her four sisters who did their best to mother her. They seemed to really get along well and in the documentary there was just this gorgeous scene of them all combing each other's hair, just having a good time, singing and laughing with each other. It was just beautiful. In 1985, Joyce had finished her education and she went on to work as a secretary at OCL, which was a container shipping company, which is based in the UK. But there's not much to know about her work life because Joyce was very, very secretive about it. And this is another reoccurring thing. No one knew why, but Joyce just didn't open up about certain aspects of her life. She was a very, very private woman and she really wasn't the flashy type either, although she had a lot of money. She just kept herself to herself. While she was working at the shipping container company, Joyce met a man called Martin and he worked at the company. He was the boss's secretary and it was clear from the moment that they met that she had a soft spot for Martin. In the documentary, Martin said she was always asking me to go out for a drink, but it never occurred to me that she was asking me out. And with that, sparks began to fly between Martin and Joyce and he really became her rock. And over the years, you'll find that he was someone who was always there for Joyce when she needed someone. Up until shortly before she passed, he was in her life and Joyce would change friend groups regularly. So Martin was just the consistent figure in her life that she really needed. Everyone around them would be really shocked at how much of an unlikely couple they were. But, you know, sometimes opposites really do attract. Joyce really saw something in Martin and she would often talk about marriage and babies but they were only in their 20s at the time and Martin would just shrug off these conversations. He wasn't ready to settle at this point in life and Martin really enjoyed going out. He was a social butterfly and he would always go out with his friends so having kids would mean that he'd have to stay at home and take life a lot more serious and you know a big commitment like marriage and kids is a lot when you're 20 years old. It's not for everyone. Over time, Joyce became a part of Martin's friend group. And like I said earlier, Joyce was so good at blending into so many different groups of people, it really wasn't that hard for her to make friends. But one interesting thing about her was that all of Joyce's friends were either her partner's friends or her flatmate's friends. And she didn't really go and crave and pursue friends of her own. She just sort of dealt with the people that she already knew through someone. So all of her friends had a mutual friend, if that makes any sense. Joyce also got a lot of male attention and because she was such a gorgeous girl, so many girls were jealous of that. If you check my Instagram at Take a Trip Podcast, I will post a photograph of Joyce on there. She was a stunner. She had this gorgeous hair, her skin was popping, she had these beautiful eyes, just everything about her gorgeous. She was absolutely beautiful. And she had this really unique personality and style, so she really stood out from the crowd and the guys just loved it. There are some girls out there where they just have that thing about them and guys can't get enough of it. Joyce was defo that girl. And it led to this guy and Martin actually getting in a fist fight over Joyce. She had boys fighting over her. She was the it girl. She was it. But throughout their relationship, Joyce would drift away from Martin a lot. And he thought this was so that she could go out with other boys. But he never really knew where Joyce would go for days and nights at a time. And I'm talking days, like three, four days at a time. And when Martin would ask Joyce where she'd gone, she would just give him a short and blunt answer. And because Martin was so easygoing, he never really probed further into it. He just took it for what it was. Joyce moved out of her family home eventually, and she went to live with a few friends in a house. So in this house, every room was separately rented. So Joyce had a stable living condition that wouldn't really break the bank. And she made really good friends with her housemates. And I have a quote. Catherine Clark became good friends with Joyce while renting a room in Kirk's house. 
She recalled that Joyce only had one other close female friend. She said mostly it was men, men who had crushes on her, men who followed her. There was always a story about a guy who had the hots for her and it was just unbelievable how intense these guys would get with her. So over the next few years, Joyce would drift through life with ease. She regularly moved houses. And when I say regularly, I mean at least once a year. It was like she couldn't stay in one place for too long, as if she was running away from something. But nobody knew why she would move this much. It just resulted in lots of people losing touch with her. But she didn't seem to care. And obviously, this is times where people would communicate a lot through you know, seeing each other face to face, you'd need someone's address to go and see them directly, or you would write a letter to them. It's not like now where you can just pull out your phone and text someone and be like, where are you? Back then it was very different. Everything was more physical. So her moving constantly, a lot of people lost touch because they could not keep up to date with all of the addresses that she was running through. That being said, Joyce seemed to enjoy her own company. She didn't really actively chase her friends and she would often make new ones to replace any old ones that she lost over time. Some people put this down to her youth, but to be honest, moving multiple times a year isn't fun even when you are young, and I don't really see why anyone would necessarily enjoy doing it. It's very expensive and physically exhausting, which leads a lot of people to theorise that she was running from something or someone. In an interview in the documentary, Martin mentioned how he would help Joyce move out with the same bin liners with the same belongings a few times a year, and she just continued doing this for years and years, and she began to push her family and friends away around this same period of time. Joyce and Martin's relationship came to a gradual end because they just naturally drifted apart over the years due to Joyce's distant behaviour, and Joyce regularly did this thing where she would just disappear for days, like I said earlier. She would go for weeks and then maybe months at a time from people's lives, which meant that all of her connections in life were very superficial, and no one ever really knew where she was or what she was doing. Joyce was always known as that person that would just disappear from life and then boom, she'd be back again. But that was the thing. She would always be back, right? Well, sometime down the line, Joyce met a successful music artist manager called Alistair and Alistair really loved Joyce. He really liked her individuality and they just seemed to get on really well. And he said that Joyce was a star at heart. I believe that there was even a time where he would take her into the studio and she would sing. There was a clip in the documentary where Joyce was singing and it was just, it was gorgeous and I loved it. It gave me absolute goosebumps. So Joyce moved in with Alistair for around a year and Alistair actually said that that one year felt like 10 because of how quickly their relationship turned serious. And I would link this back to how Joyce would make friends through her partner and just by the sound of things, she wanted to settle with kids, so I can see why things would get quite intense quite fast, um, especially with a guy who just wants to chill, just wants a pretty casual relationship with a girl. I can see why that would be a lot for him. But they did a lot together regardless. One of their most treasured memories was when Alistair surprised Joyce by taking her to Wembley in 1990 to see a Nelson Mandela tribute concert, and she actually ended up meeting Nelson Mandela there, and she even shook hands with him. This was all on camera, by the way, and Joyce was so excited about this. So Carol Morley, who was the woman behind the documentary that I mentioned earlier, she basically found a clip of Joyce at this concert and it was an absolute strike of luck. It was just like gold. And honestly, it's such an amazing clip. It is just such a beautiful capture of time. Uh, Joyce looks absolutely gorgeous and she's smiling and glowing in this video. It's just really nice to see, you know, her in that way compared to a horrible fate that follows. Alistair and Joyce had lots and lots of famous artists over at their house and Joyce was in constant awe at the people that she was able to meet through Alistair. But over time, 
Alistair realised that things between him and Joyce just weren't going to work out. He said that he didn't understand how he was in a relationship with Joyce, but he didn't know anything about her life before they met. It really started to bug him. In the documentary, he actually said, Have you ever seen the movie The Man With No Name? That's how she was. She came with no past. And eventually, Alistair and Joyce parted ways as well. So this leads us up to the final years before Joyce's very mysterious death. After she moved out of her family home, Joyce gradually cut off all contact from her family. She would only contact her friends here and there, but she went off the grid for very long and worrying periods of time. She reportedly had a few friendships and relationships within these years and her life continued as normal. However, it is said that between some point in this weird time frame between her relationship with Alistair and her death, she got into an abusive relationship. So this absolute turd would abuse Joyce at home and no one ever really knew how bad things got there. But regardless, Joyce was in a very bad and toxic situation. There wasn't actually a name for Joyce's abuser because the police never actually tracked him down. There wasn't any information regarding how long the relationship was or what Joyce may have had to go through. But regardless, she was a victim and she needed to be somewhere safe. So Joyce left her current job in March 2001. And this was also nothing new because she would leave her jobs over minor inconveniences. I remember in the documentaries they said that sometimes she would even leave her job over a small dispute with a colleague. She had hot feet and nobody could ever understand what was making her act that way. And she also began telling people this really strange rumour that her father had died in 2001. But whenever she spoke about this, she didn't seem fazed by it at all. It's kind of like she said it and that was that. So she continued to avoid all of her friends and personal relationships at this point and leaving her job was the next big step. Her colleagues reported that Joyce seemed happy to leave and that her four years of working there were filled with great memories. She told her colleagues that she had been headhunted by another company and was moving on to another opportunity. But their boss actually told them that Joyce had left because she was going to travel with 20 plus people. And it's safe to say that her colleagues were confused as to what her next move really was. But the truth is she didn't do either. And this sparks up the next question is that why did she feel the need to lie so much? You know, it's one thing not telling people something, but outright lying. I can't believe that more people weren't worried about her safety at this point, because I know that if my friend felt the need to lie that much, I would definitely be looking out for their safety. In August 2001, Joyce got back in contact with Martin and she called him on a public phone and she told him that she really needed to come over and speak to him like ASAP. And when Martin eventually saw Joyce, he instantly picked up the vibe that something was really off with her. He asked Joyce if she was hurt, but she just shrugged it off and said, no, she was fine. And he told his other friends that Joyce had returned and they were all really surprised at her sudden reappearance. It was really out of character almost. She didn't confide in Martin that much, but she did tell him that she had sold her laptop for money and that she needed to sleep over at his place. So Martin agreed, thinking that she only meant a few days, but... Joyce ended up staying at Martin's place for six months and in this time she told Martin that she didn't want to date him again and Martin said that he could tell that something was up with her. She was pretending to be okay all the time but he could clearly see that she wasn't and some people had theorised that it had something to do with her abuser. Maybe her abuser was still in her life at this point and just giving her problems and it would make sense why she said that she couldn't be with Martin at the time. Maybe she was being threatened to say this kind of stuff. So Joyce at this point was supposedly working in the city but one day Martin was actually off work and he was walking back home when he saw Joyce who was supposed to be working she was crossing the road nearby him so he approached her 
and asked her, Joyce, why aren't you at work? And all she could say was that she was feeling ill that day and she was going to come home and chill. But he didn't really believe her. But nevertheless, Martin was really good to Joyce and he continued to support her. But when it reached 2002, he prompted her to find her own place because he wanted to move on with his own life. Joyce then turned to the Housing Association in North London, who gave her a flat above Wood Green Shopping Centre. And I believe those flats are still there to this day. Around this time, she had a job with a cleaning company and worked at minimum wage. No one could figure out why she left a well-paid job for a position at a small hotel as a cleaner. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's just a very weird switch up to have. One of Joyce's friends said that perhaps maybe she decided to go off the grid because her abuser was isolating her or maybe her abuser knew where she worked and she just didn't want to contact anyone because she was ashamed of her new situation and working as a cleaner. In November 2003, Joyce was actually rushed to the North Middlesex Hospital after she had vomited blood. She was also asthmatic and she was notorious for not taking care of this and she was just generally really ill. So she stayed at the hospital for two days and they found that she had a peptic ulcer. She received treatment for this ulcer and she was sent back home. They said that she was perfectly okay and that was that. But one strange thing about this hospital visit was that Joyce had to fill out a form at the hospital and she wrote her next of kin as her bank manager. I don't know why. Maybe it's due to her not wanting to have, or maybe just not having contact with her close friends anymore, but your bank manager? That just seems really sad to me. I don't know why. In the days leading to her death, Joyce didn't really contact anyone at all. And by now, she was completely isolated from her family and her friends. And one of Joyce's friends actually saw her near a local shop weeks before she died. And when she called Joyce's name, Joyce avoided eye contact and quickly walked away, which was just very weird because Joyce was this outgoing social person. It wasn't like her to just avoid contact and walk away from her friend like that. But her friend just thought that she was being weird and never really confronted Joyce about it. I believe that friend was probably one of the last people to see Joyce alive. After these final weird encounters, Joyce basically disappeared into thin air for three years until her body was discovered by the council officials. And it turns out that, yeah, Joyce was wrapping presents for Christmas right up until just before her death. And one thing that haunts me about that is that she cared enough about someone to give them gifts for Christmas as she was wrapping them so carefully, but nobody cared enough to visit her flat in three years to do one welfare check. Now, there could be so many reasons behind this. Like I said, Joyce was always that one friend where she would just drift away and come back. So maybe the people around her thought she was just drifting away again so that she could come back eventually. Some people also theorised that the gifts were for charity and they weren't for her friends, but no one ever really knew what they were for. And I couldn't actually find what was inside those presents either. So Joyce spent three years alone decomposing in front of her TV. Birthdays, Christmas, New Year's, Easter, summer holidays, all of those times that you're meant to spend with loved ones, everyone continued their lives but hers ended in 2003. It's been suggested that her most likely cause of death was either an asthma attack or a complication with her peptic ulcer. Joyce's family had hired a private detective to look for her after they heard nothing from her for a long period of time. The detective found Joyce's current address and tried to reach out to her via a letter, but this letter was never returned and it was also too late because Joyce had already passed away at this point and her family thought that she was purposely cutting ties with them so they just left her to it. And when the media found out about the grim discovery of Joyce Vincent's body, it hit the front lines on most newspapers. 
and there was a public outcry concerning how someone can die and not be checked on in three years. The horrifying thought of someone young, in their 30s, being forgotten for years and when they are found, they're dead in a living room. People questioned the neighbours a lot. They said things like, well, how didn't you smell a decomposing corpse? And they didn't question the fact that a specific resident hadn't come outside in years. And also the fact that, did they not notice that her door had closed and never opened again for three years? Well, as I stated before, the local neighbours pointed to the bins nearby Joyce's flat and they said that the putrid smell was coming from that. And the next door neighbour even said that they saw bugs climbing through their window from Joyce's flat. And I can't imagine how horrified that person was when they realised that those bugs came from Joyce's body. There was also an inquiry into Joyce's death and the police quickly determined that there was no need to investigate her death because it didn't show signs of foul play. And I don't really see how they could reach that decision without really looking at the body and having a real cause of death. You can't just discover someone's body after three years of horrifying neglect and just say that it's a normal thing either because it's even more wild that they still don't know her cause of death. So as I said, it's weird not to question foul play until it's ruled out, it's still an option. And even if the door was bolted from inside, there's other ways that she could have potentially been killed. Joyce's family never spoke publicly about her death and her dad Lawrence died in 2004 and this shocked a lot of Joyce's friends because they all remember Joyce telling them that her dad had died in 2001 as I mentioned before. It was a really strange thing to lie about but considering the nature of her and her father's relationship I can't really judge you Joyce. I couldn't really find any charities or organisations in Joyce's name but there was a find a grave page for Joyce that I'll leave down below and people can leave their digital flowers and heartwarming messages for Joyce. Just reading some of those messages makes you see how much of a frustrating but sad case that this is. And as much as we want answers, we will probably never get any. And that was the mysterious life and death of Joyce Vincent. So in my opinion, I feel like Joyce had obviously endured that abusive relationship which was most likely the reason why she had cut so many people out of her life leading up to her death. This isn't an uncommon thing for people in abusive relationships, their abuser tends to make them cut off ties from the outside world so that they have more control over them. And from what I read it sounded like Joyce likely would weave in and out of people's lives so like I said earlier if she did go missing for all of those years then none of her friends really considered the idea that she could be dead because she would always come back and I honestly think that someone out there and probably still is out there has a lot of answers to our questions and yes abuser I am talking to you. There were no mentions of mental health or drug use in this case so I feel like the main culprit probably would be an abuser. Abuse like I said can definitely make people shut off and it breaks my heart that Joyce or anyone on this planet would ever have to endure any abuse. So I'm going to leave some links down below for resources on how to spot a potential abusive relationship. On my Instagram I'm also going to post, so there's been this um, hand sign that people now use in uh, an abusive situation. So uh, you basically tuck your thumb into the palm of your hand and then close your four fingers on top of it. And if you make this sign out in public or if you see someone make this sign out in public, you know that they're in a dangerous situation and you need to call the police immediately. There have been multiple lives saved by using this exact sig like signal. So um, I'm gonna post a 
picture of that signal so that you're all aware um, just because I feel like this case does involve domestic abuse I feel like that's one thing that everyone really needs to see and just tell as many people as you can about this thing because you could potentially save a life if you know this um so yeah thank you for tuning into this episode next week will definitely be a bit of a lighter episode i'm thinking maybe some conspiracy theories or i'm thinking maybe a backrooms part two what do you guys think let me know uh hit me up on my instagram at take a trip podcast and that is all i've got for you today thank you again to shannon for suggesting this episode it is honestly one of the saddest but most intriguing things i have ever researched and just learned about in general and yeah i'm so sorry for the covid voice guys i'm so sorry i do have covid and i just thought you know what i'm not waiting again i'm not making the people wait again for another episode so yeah and also if you're hearing this i should probably have a youtube up and running um you'll see on my instagram when my youtube is up and running but i'm working on visuals for you guys i'm working on getting some visuals in so fingers crossed we get that sometime soon follow me on whatever you're listening to me on and make sure you put the notification bell on so that you get a notification every single time i upload a new episode so yeah thank you so much for listening um expect a much lighter episode next week and yeah i'll see you next friday love you guys bye